The Rewindables, the one you take to bed with you. Introducing the ultimate sun formula from Tropical Blend. Now nothing will come between you and the sun because ultimate sun oil has no sunscreens, just a lavish blend of 10 natural oils and butters. If you have a good base tan, try new ultimate sun, the newest Tropical Blend formula, and reach a deep, dark, savage tan. The savage tan from Tropical Blend. You gotta slow down, Chris. You gotta slow way down. If you're ever lonely watching television, your troubles may soon be over. That's because finally there's a TV that talks back to you. Kind of. Interactive TV doesn't really speak, but there is a whole lot more give and take than with your average two. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Welcome back to the Rewindables, Chris Mandelkin, Ben Craw, Christian Lynch, that's for you, Anne, aka Cousin Christian. Z-Mom. Gents, welcome back. Z-Mom, they use my real name. <laughs> uh, true, true story. My mother my mother was like, they don't use your real name. I'm like, it's okay. Cousin Christian's my, my nickname and I'm totally fine with it. And my mom's like, but they don't use your full name. And I was like, oh boy. So thank you, Chris. Listen. We value input and uh, and and notes from all of our listeners, um, and we of course appreciate uh, that that you are listening at all. And uh, and and we yeah we are we are always we are nothing if not responsive to our listeners. In fact, uh, my mother already sent a correction for the corrections episode about. <laughs> oh, uh, please let me know. <laughs> oh, it's about the shimmering sound, and that we did not mention flute, and that your mom <laughs> would be quite upset, Ben. Because uh, oh there's is a bit a of flute, flute that makes that noise, according to my mother. But I might have to correct the correction if there is no flute. <laughs> then we'll. Mm. Anyways, yeah. uh, Annie Lynch, All uh, right. shout out for you. And real quick at the top, I'll take the opportunity to apologize to one of our listeners, Sophie, who reached out to I don't know if it was Ben or Christian. Um, I did incorrectly pronounce the name <laughs> of a certain university <laughs> where the movie yep. Rudy takes place. That would be. Notre Dame, not Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, don't yeah, worry. Don't we, worry. No, don't have to I'm sorry, listen. Sophie. This is this is this podcast values accountability. I was going to save it for the corrections episode. We don't have to, you know, get no. it all out now. I mean, but, for the yeah. record, yeah, no, 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 no. I oh, we'll correct it. Yeah. No, it'll it'll be in the corrections episode. Sure, but yeah. there's no point in pretending like I didn't blow it. No, and, and, and the beauty was I blew it. Blew I blew it. it in a big way. Huge yeah. big time. Let's be I, frank about it. I know that and. I'm sorry, Sophie, yeah. and I'm down on myself, and I've been beating myself up all week. Yep. Listen, apologies and... only go so far, but corrections are the only real way to atone for our sins. It's true, and the beauty... We appreciate the... you listening, you appreciate, we appreciate you holding us accountable, and all we Absolutely. can say is we'll, we'll strive to be better. Yeah, and yeah. The, the beauty was, is I did, and Ben did, at the moment, watch, watch Chris walk into the bear trap. We saw him do it. 
and we knew mm. that's a full bonus pod. <laughs> yep. He double he double clutched and he just choked at the last second. Ran if out of town to the, the rim. If you video feed, you can see Ben slowly pumping his fist. <laughs> like, we got him. I immediately pulled out my notepad yeah. and started scribbling furiously. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Marking the exact right. time code. <laughs> enough enough with the delaying, enough with the head fakes. Yeah. Um, we are back down the rabbit hole this week, guys, with the 1991 film, Joe Johnston's film, The Rocketeer. And last we talked, we were breaking down the specifics of this uh, this, this scene where Cliff has uh, crash-landed his plane and there's an argument and there's there's a there's a a punch that happens. A couple of punches, in fact, an exchange yep. Yep. of a few punches. Yeah. So we're transitioning out of that moment and into the next uh, little portion of the scene here, where a couple of FBI agents named Fitch and Wooly find our mobster Wilmer, the guy that has survived the plane crash on the runway, and the guy that had the secret box. Yeah. And he's all he's all bandaged up and presumably we think maybe he's going to see a doctor and the feds warn him basically, Hey, if you, you know, if you live long enough to to even make it to the hospital, your next stop is going to be Alcatraz. We need to work with the patient in private. (laughs) Your buddy's getting fitted for a pine overcoat. If you make it a county general, Alcatraz is your new digs. Spit it out, Wilma. Where's the package? Blown to hell. Why don't you go look for it? That's right. <laughs> so these guys are looking for. Now, the do package. you want me to go on a deep dive of the history of uh, Alcatraz Prison by any chance? No, not uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Man, okay. for the love of God, no. <laughs> we'll talk about the film today. We'll just I say swear. that it was opened and operational in uh, 1938. We'll, we'll so. have it, folks. It was a prison, all yeah, right? It was a prison. <laughs> San Francisco, The Rock. They called it. Welcome to the Rock. It was real bad, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so just thoughts on this little bit here, sequence, things that popped off the screen for you guys. I mean, Wilmer's got, got balls. Like, we got to say it. Like, that. that is a, a gangster with, you know, his head in the right place. He's got his priorities straight. He's not snitching. He's not, he's not, uh, he's, he's. Got his eyes on the prize, can, man. That guy. Can we talk about this bandage situation? So he had <laughs> yeah. a bandage around his forehead, but then Ben. Yeah, like, he really took that, that, that directly fall beneath bad. his his jaw. Like, yeah, like, that's some that's some nineteen twenties hospital work if I've ever seen it. Yeah, that's like <laughs> if you got like dental surgery or something. Yeah. yeah. The dental technician is not only a part of the Navy, but a responsible, highly trained specialist in a branch of the medical profession. The dental technician and the dental officer work together with precision and accuracy, with a professional smoothness which compares with that of the finest gun crew. They were just like, he's this guy's in bad shape, just put bandages everywhere you can. That's it's also hey, his, his whole did, torso is wrapped. He did jump out of a moving car and tumble roll at top speed as a plane crashed into it. So I believe that every part of his body is broken at that moment. Yeah, they basically just every single bone is is probably shattered. I, mean, I love the shot. way he's got like the sat like the the diagonal bandage across like yes. the, from the neck to the armpit like a sash. 
I do. I will say, it's like Flintstones. It's like Flintstones <laughs> level bandaging. I, I know. Also, we've talked about we talked about this in like a previous episode about these guys, especially the character actors being Christian. You, you talk about this at one point, being like real, just salt of the earth, regular looking guys, yes. and it really lends like this great office authenticity to the film. This guy in particular, Love Wilmer, him. has such a like rubber he really looks like he has like a rubber mask that he's wearing or something there's something about he has these like beautiful cherubic cheeks and his nose everything about him just looks so like i mean he looks like he could be a gangster from the 1930s like this guy looks like a gangster and it not a pretty boy like he'd be the guy that you call pretty boy wilmer because you know he's ugly as shit so yeah (laughs) he should have been a dick tracy if he wasn't yeah and I mean, all these guys would are straight out of Dick Tracy. Yeah. I do I love also that Fitch, uh, when Fitch actually approaches him, he goes, you know, we, we got to talk to the patient. And then Fitch goes, your buddy is being fitted for a pine overcoat. And boy, what a great mm. phrase. I had to look that up. I had no idea what a pine overcoat was. Slang for a coffin. It's, uh, it's a casket, folks. They that's made a, a casket, wood. folks. Pine yeah. overcoat. Yep. So that's just good stuff. It wraps you all the way up. And what yep. jumps out to me when he goes, where's the package? Wilmer ushers out a line that he says blown to hell, but as a kid and present, I'm always expecting him to go. (laughs) He doesn't say that. (laughs) He says blown to hell because this is a PG family film. But every time I hear it, I go, did he just say? Oh, my God. No, he says blown to hell. I wouldn't put it past Wilmer, man. He's he's a spicy one. (laughs) Let's be real. though. So like this guy's vibe the way he says, blown to hell, go look for it. Where's the package? Blown to hell. Why don't you go look for it? <laughs> Get him out of here. <gasps> yeah, blown just to like, hell, why don't you go uh, look for it? So and badass. he's laughing, and he's not just laughing, it's like a maniacal yes. cackle. Yeah. Yes. And it's really just perfect also it's again james horner beautifully underscored by these like violins to sort of give it this sense of like drama mm-hmm. um it it just lends such a a sense of like that this dude really is that much of a badass yeah like, oh, he he's really got that dog like in a, him he's like a real deal og mobster wilmer's, he's like wilmer's go built different fuck yourself i am built different yeah i'm gonna laugh I, in your I, face I and i know you're not even gonna do anything about it yeah like, i he, like just got like a tooth pulled i have the bandage around my head <laughs> i will happily go to alcatraz yeah you know the package was blown to hell yeah yeah it's a wee bit reminiscent to me of 1989's batman when the Joker is already out of, like, he's already fallen in the vat of green acid or whatever that stuff is. And he's at the doctor's office and he's like, give me the, give me the mirror. And then he looks at his face and it's obviously a nightmare. Understand that the nerves were completely severed, Mr. Napier. <laughs> you see what I have to work with here. <laughs> and 
and he starts yeah. cackling like a psychopath. Yes. And that's what I see I mean, with Wilmer. He's he's laughing this like is a the psychopath. Mouth, you gotta treat these situations it's the mouth with of humor. Movie madness. You know? It's yeah. the mouth of movie madness. Yeah. He's literally entering his own kingdom of madness. Yeah. Expect and the unexpected in the kingdom of madness. I'm telling you, expect the unexpected in the kingdom of the madness. So I mean oh, to God. me, and then they they pull out the um smoking, burned out husk of a what they think is a rocket, and we see it's the dented up Hoover vacuum. By the way, I have a I have a lengthy correction about the vacuum cleaner uh, model, but we don't. I'll save that for the corrections episode. I just wanted uh, yes. to make that. Make oh, that it's a, coming. Okay, well, little, little bookmark for later. <laughs> seven months from now, we're all going to be yeah. learning that I'm going to eat shit on my Hoover <laughs> vacuum research. So that's fun, um, <laughs> but it does come out as a smoldering ruin, and I don't know. It's like I, it all reads believable to me, folks. That I'm like, yep, yeah. Package blown to hell. Take a look at this. Hey, that must be the gizmo, all right. And then I love the fact that they call it a gizmo. Hey, that must be the gizmo, all right. Oh, that's uh, the gizmo, gizmo, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out uh, Gremlins, of course, and uh, Cousin Christian's AI art. Uh, yeah. Familiar Boy, with it you have on, no uh, idea how much. I have to basically not talk about my <laughs> Again, other not trying obsession. to derail the podcast. We won't, we won't. We don't have to go down that. But, uh, oh, folks, uh, there's a whole thing <laughs> about Gremlins. But anyways, we're not going to talk about that. What's your What's your IG handle? If, if uh, people it's are... called Gremlins, yeah, Gremlins underscore extended underscore universe. Gremlins extended universe. <laughs> and it's all about... Check it out if you'd like to see some very fun gizmo art. Yes, very much. But okay, so the other thing that I love is the sequence ends... Um, the two G men, Willie and Fitch, a little, a little dandy of a move in which um, Fitch flips a quarter to Willie, uh, so slick, without even telling him it's coming, and it's like these guys have been doing this forever. Okay, button it up. Call him, Willie. Oh, why me? I called him last time. But he likes you. <sighs> it yep. Just, it's a weird motion where he. I don't know. He takes he takes his left hand, slaps his right wrist, and a quarter goes flying out of his hand, and Willie catches it. And you're yeah. like, the 30s were great. <laughs> the 30s were great. It's so lived in, so so like like these guys have just been bickering like an old married couple for years and years. They've Gents done this knew how to dress times. back then. Gents knew how to dress and flip quarters, Chris. Uh, yeah. They look great. Uh, Can we just like pour one out for? They both are wearing basically matching gray suits. One of them is in a three-piece suit with like a vest underneath. The other one is just you know the jacket. They both yeah. have fedoras. Louder's really got the, the tie clip. Uh, yeah, striped ties. I mean. It's just they look great. Yeah, and it's deeply it's deeply unfortunate that like people are like, why don't men dress like this one anymore? And the reality is, if you did dress like this, it looks like you like you basically are uh, walked off the set of a 1940s movie. Yeah, it's you a Halloween look crazy costume. now. Um, yeah. It is super snazzy when other people are dressed like that. But if you stepped on a plane like this with everyone else wearing like UGG boots and basically like you know. <laughs> Uh, basketball shorts basketball yeah. shorts and you came onto the plane like this they'd be like with a fedora with a fedora people would basically laugh at you so i yeah. uh, shout out to the the style of the uh the 30s it looks pretty pretty dapper yeah so the guys are headed over to the payphone christian mentions this coin flip that happens and there's some bickering about like uh, who's gonna call them i called last time 
and they go over to the phone and make a call, and the the person that they are going to be speaking with, oh god, we learn, oh god, here is, it is. It appears to be their boss, and we learn that this person, guys, is Howard Hughes, played by the incredible Terry O'Quinn. There's no mistake about that, Wooly. I see. It was damn sloppy. Well, yes, it could have been worse. Right. Was that Walensky? They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X3 was destroyed. It's the cutting edge is Jack Mosley. It's Howard Hughes. Uh, it is. It's time. This is this is the the bridge that brought us time. to this film. Really, we talked yes. on the cutting edge pod. We were constantly calling him Howard Hughes. It's Terry O'Quinn, ladies and gentlemen, as the great Howard Hughes. Terry O'Quinn, the man that played Jack Mosley in the Cutting Edge, who basically, you know, was a was a character that wanted desperately to be Howard Hughes in the '90s. Um, may have engaged in some similar lines of business as the, uh, you know, Mr. Hughes. Uh, but this is the real deal. This is Howard Hughes. And we're in the office of the Hughes Aircraft Company. And I am now going to restrain myself from reeling off about 20 straight minutes of <laughs> exposition about the life yeah. and times of Howard Hughes. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right here. I'm not. We have I'm, plenty yeah. of moments with Howard Hughes. Let's let's talk yes, about do. the scene itself first. Y- okay. Yeah, let's Good pause call. here yes, yes. and just pour one out and let's talk. And about the look and the vibe of Terry O'Quinn's mm. Howard Hughes. We'll get back to the movie in in a second, but let's just pour one out real quick for the look. Ben, we have the impeccable double-breasted suit, the striped tie, the pencil-thin mustache, mm. the slicked-back hair, this commanding, assured voice. It's just... He's like the most in-charge dude that any dude yeah. has ever been. Yeah. Yes. And he's got a a cush office. Can we just talk about this? Like his office is a, um, up the steps of a full gorgeous white, pristine airport. Pristine white. Yeah. It looks like I would eat a a plate of eggs off the ground of that airport hangar. That's how clean it is. I would eat a full hash brown breakfast off the floor. When we cut. And given Howard's OCD tendencies, you probably could (laughs) and it would be completely healthy. (laughs) When we cut to the scene, when when we cut to the scene in his office, you know, we hear Howard on the phone, but we, what we were seeing are these men in white coats. Now at first, if you just look at the first frame, you're like, are we in a hospital or are these like laboratory? Yeah. It looks like a, Science lab. Yeah, it's it's men in white coats, and it's like, where the hell are we? And then you just see this enormous plane in a hangar that's being worked on and experimented with. And uh, yeah, Christian, walk us through here a little bit about just the the aesthetic of the office and the whole the whole setup. I mean, it it speaks to uh, just again. (laughs) This is like the the. Everything is pristine white with the exception of like the pop of black on the airplane. So like the whole space. And the blueprints it, that the that and, the scientists are pulling And the blueprints. Over. Everything just, whatever you need to see just pops. But like this is exactly the kind of uh, space where like they now make um, 
like iPhones, that there's no static electricity <laughs> here. Like, well, like yeah. a Tesla. It's a right? Tesla. Like, like it's this like is, where they make spaceships. Yeah, yeah. and again, a completely like, like hermetically sealed environment. And we know right. surrounding this zone is dirt field nothing. So like this just looks like the future. Like these are future men doing future things. Yeah. Uh, like these guys may as well be in the hazmat suits, right? hundred mm-hmm. percent. This looks like early days of NASA type stuff. Like this is, they are building things that have never been seen before. And when we pan over who's the, 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 the wizard in charge of all this, it's a man, a, a dapper gentleman who's mm-hmm. in a luxury leather Brown office and, yeah, this can we talk about is, the interior of this office? Oh, the carpeting, Let's, the wood paneled walls. He has windows from his office looking down on his laboratory. Yeah, yes, one wall like, of the office is full glass looking out over the the hangar laboratory. Uh, w- w- and we should also note that it has, you know, the, the hangar doors are ajar so you can see out into the the sun, you know, the uh, the Los Angeles sun outside. Um you know, just a just a crack, the kind of you know frontier in the distance that 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 Howard is is you know uh, pushing into, quite literally. Um, but yeah, but inside the the remainder of the office, you know, you you might as well be in, you know, the penthouse at the Plaza Hotel. You know, yeah, it's, this is it's Rockefeller business. This is kitted like... out with the finest furniture. There's gold, you know, plated lamps everywhere. It's you know what it reminds me of a little bit. I don't know if this will. Makes sense to you guys at all. But when I was a kid, uh, I sat once with with uh, a friend's dad got through his company, had uh, his company had like a luxury box at Yankee Stadium. You wanted to see me, Mr. Steinbrenner? Yes, George, please come in, come in. There was like catered food mm-hmm. and like you sat, you sat in a luxury box and I remember there being like a glass, like you, like you weren't outside, like you weren't with the commoners. Mm-hmm. You were inside like, like a glass, you were like safely like sealed, like in a glass box and it was like catered. It was so, it felt like the most decadent thing. My childhood memory was like that this was so, so fancy. And this and this also, this validates my opinion of this growing vision of Chris's childhood where he is wearing a little suit and <laughs> is reading a little Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that's and where he is, got his first taste of finance. And he says, Daddy, well, can yeah. we hunt the most dangerous game of all? And Chris's dad's man. like, we'll hunt man later. We all aspired to grow up and be businessmen. Yeah. Successful businessmen yes. who wore suits and had briefcases. Yeah, and you and, would comb your yeah. hair to the side with, you yes. know, with hairspray. Yes, and, and drank it. and drank coffee and yeah. and voted for the best politicians that gave us the tax you know, cuts. Yeah, and also that gave us the best tax cuts. To be yes. clear, yeah. Terry O'Quinn. And we had to bomb our enemies. Yes, yes, yes of course. Ter- Terry O'Quinn is also looking Terry O'Tan. That is a, a mm. he is golden brown from that California, which is just adding to like. Like the color of his skin is close to the color of the walls because he's like this warm tannish. Uh, he's looking great. He's looking California, yeah. California handsome, folks. I want a beautiful tan just as badly as you do, but age this skin and it's goodbye modeling career. So what do I do? Neutrogena on this tanning spray. No fake orange look. No zebra-like streaks. Just a beautiful, natural-looking tan with Neutrogena sunless tanning. Can you guys just remind me? This is we are now like a year or two before the cutting edge goes in, into production, right? It's uh, They have to be filming at the same time around. Yeah. He looks identical. 
I mean, this was filmed mostly in 1990, so, but yeah, I think right. The Cutting Edge was literally the movie he made directly after this. probably like six months this. apart, yeah. right? They, yeah. The time period, the time period seems very close, because I think the only difference is mustache. That's it. Or did he have a, I'm now I'm like. Yeah, he had, a, he had a stash in, he had a stash. in Cutting so, Edge, didn't I he? I think, I don't know, that's the thing, is like, my vision of Howard Hughes just blends into both films. Uh, Jack Mosley, Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes, Jack Mosley. They are the same to me. I will say this. I think he absolutely, I mean, I, I feel like I'm stating an obvious thing here. He absolutely has more hair here as Howard Hughes than he did as Jack Mosley. Mm. He was balding as Jack Mosley. Pull up a photo. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. Oh, it's absolutely true. But he he has he has he has a crown. Do you think that's you know, a, he, a rug? Do you think that's... A, I think he's wearing a hairpiece. No, yeah. it's, in in this film as Howard Hughes. If it's a hairpiece, it's a good hairpiece. Christian, look at look at the photo of him as Jack Mosley. Okay, Jack Mosley, uh, cutting edge. We're doing it, folks. GLH means great looking hair. Just spray GLH on, and it instantly covers your bald spot, leaving you with great looking hair. And ladies with thinning hair or bald spots, GLH solves the problem instantly. GLH is not a paint or a cover-up. It's an amazing powder that clings to the tiniest hairs on your head. It actually builds on itself, leaving you with great, great-looking hair. And the GLH hair system is not expensive. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. This is the first time I've ever used this product. I saw it on the uh, infomercials, and I was skeptical at first, um, but uh, it, it works. I'll tell you what, I can't believe it. You know, I've seen the commercial, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it. And it really looks great. My wife's got herself a new guy now, and I'll tell you, I'm really impressed. Okay. Yeah, we're looking at hairpiece, folks. <laughs> but wow, pretty good. That's movie right. magic. I mean, it, really? it's pretty seamless. Um I mean, he looks fantastic. Yeah. He looks fantastic. I think you're right, you know, but it's a good hairpiece. That's just quality really would work. Not have, That's just He yeah. also, I just, I think, I mean, it's it's really striking. I, I asked this thing about the timeline because my initial impression is, wow, he looks so young and boyish as Howard Hughes here. One, because I, 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 the hair thing. And two, he looks thinner like he he looks just like a, a bit more trim hmm. it's i think it's actually a production design thing i think it's i think it's just that yeah he has he has more hair i think yeah. the characters yeah. too though i mean i think like jack mosley is the father of kate in the cutting edge and in this yes. movie like howard hughes everything we know about him is like this extremely energetic young millionaire turned whippersnapper whippersnapper mm -hmm. who basically was a self-made starter uh, savant and I think like credit to Terry O'Quinn he embodies that in his posture he embodies it in how he you know he commands the room like in this scene he's obviously taking a phone call with um, Wooly and Fitch who are telling him the package is blown to hell and this is also the first time we actually learned the name of this thing that it's called mm. the X3 the X3 was destroyed the there was a wreck on the X3, runway but we don't this, know that yet right yep Nope, they just say uh, there was X3. a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. <sighs> and this is where Howard Hughes, we learn that Howard Hughes is involved in that mysterious package that was, you know, for yeah. authorized personnel only. So let's get into that. Let's let's start talking about, like, Howard Hughes is, like, the 
the builder of this thing. Yes. So on the phone, Wooly explains what's happened to the secret box. Hughes relays this message to the men in his office. And he says they chased it. By the way, sorry, real quick. Valley. Shout out to these to these men um, who are listed in the uh, credits simply as government liaisons. They, I don't, mm-hmm. they don't have have uh, credited names, uh, yes. but but they're like just two like classic like government stooge looking guys. Uh, one of them is in a suit. One of them is in more of a like you know military style you know like a high ranking uh, military uniform. Uh, but the guy in the uniform, I have to shout out, is uh, is played by the great character actor William Boyette, um, who is uh, from the movie The Hidden. Yo, Grandpa, what are you stupid or something? Yo, I'm talking to you, Wang. I said I'm good. You guys know that movie? I do not. Um, okay, we'll have to drop a clip. In, but there's an incredible movie from 1987 with I think it's 87 with Kyle MacLachlan uh, called The Hidden. Uh, amazing sci-fi B movie. Um, but William Boyette plays a character in that movie. Um, he basically gets like abducted by, well, it's, uh, I, I won't give anything away, but, um, yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites. I mean, I think this scene sets up also just, obviously we've just seen this, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of, there's a fight over the package. Then we cut to what is, looks like a futuristic, um, airport hangar that's obviously inventing new technology. Then we cut to the main office and Howard Hughes looks like he's talking to someone from the Pentagon and someone that's a high-ranking, you know, politician. That's what I read yeah. from seeing this. Yeah. I don't know who they are, but it looks like the Pentagon and, like, someone from Congress is like, what the hell's up with the package? And this is where we yeah. do learn some interesting detail through the exposition. So they said they chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. So this is the first time the device is is referenced by name. The focus of of the film is going to be this device, which is called the X-3. Then Hughes's men, the the government stooges Ben mentioned, ask quickly, uh, ask uh, how quickly it can be rebuilt. The X-3 was destroyed. Well, better lost than in the wrong hands. How soon can you rebuild it? Rebuild it? Not a chance. My people in Washington will have something to say about that. Your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. Apparently someone else had the same idea. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you boys that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. It's quickly established, like, this is a highly sought after and highly dangerous, uh, potentially dangerous uh, item. Um, and they're also very war. eager It's a weapon to, of war, but we don't know how. It's better right, lost in the wrong hands. That's a weapon WMD. of... I take the fact that he develops weapons of mass destruction very seriously. That is something right. that and they're very eager to the they're very eager to get it, but but the government officials are are specifically eager to rebuild it whereas Howard uh, you know as the creator of this thing says no, that's not a chance. Like that thing is going to be basically yeah, so the government official says my people in Washington will have something to say about that and Howard yep. says your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. 
Apparently someone else had the same idea, uh, referring to the gangsters that uh, attempted to steal it. And the official tries to push him. Oh, we must insist. And Howard very calmly reminds them that he doesn't work for the government. Quote, I cooperate at my own discretion. Um, which is classic Howard Hughes as the, you know, the maverick, yeah. the cowboy. Um, Just did laying his cojones on He the is table. a true blue American entrepreneur. Doesn't answer to anybody except his own set of balls. Um, and he also notes that two of his best pilots were killed during the test phase, um, which is darkly ironic if you know anything about the history of Howard Hughes, uh, and his own aviation career, which again, I'm not going to get into right now. We're going to save that for a completely separate uh, side series. We're gonna have, we're gonna have where, to have like we're gonna have to have a Howard Hughes bonus pod. They're just we're to. gonna have like honestly, it's probably gonna be a, a three to five parter. Um, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I'm just gonna there's go a time and, and a place it. for it, and that's what it's gonna uh, be. we're not gonna get into it now. We'll see. But, we'll um, see if you earn it. We'll yeah. see if you earn it. We have to get through <laughs> that's this. That's fair. That's fair. I'm I'm gonna that'll be my dessert if we, if we can finish yeah. our vegetables first. Uh, so we that's won't right. get into. Yeah, I was just going to say, we won't get into the number of uh, pilots that were killed during the movie Hell's Angels, um, <laughs> directed by Howard Hughes. Nope, we're not going to talk about that yet. Uh, just a little teaser, a little teaser. But yeah, Howard Hughes did, in fact, know something in real life about uh, pilots being killed um, under his uh, purview. Um, and but yeah, so and he says, yeah, he says, I'm sorry I dreamed the thing up. Yeah. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you, boys, that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. No, gentlemen. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing up. Sir, I wish you'd reconsider. What do we tell the president? Tell him the dream is over. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. It's very clear that this object is dangerous. Yeah. The government wants to have it replicated. Hughes, who was the architect, the guy that oversaw it, is, you know, saying, no, it's, this is like a, this is a one of one sort of thing. This is a one of one device. This thing can't be rebuilt. That's that. Yeah. And, um, important, yeah. important, important he, freeze frame. I think it's, you know, this is actually in the film. So at 10.29, we do see a shot where Howard Hughes is looking at the blueprint of the rocket, of the jetpack. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this conversation happening between the government officials, like what they want it for. Howard is saying, I didn't build it for that. And what's actually interesting is like, again, this is a freeze frame shot that I think is fascinating is, in the blueprint shot, there is a letter attached to the inside of this dossier. Yeah. And I read it, and here's what it says. It says um, the, the most important paragraphs are paragraphs two through the bottom because on display at the 1939 New York World's Fair, the Cirrus X3, so technically this is the first time we learned the full name, the Cirrus mm -hmm. X3 will be viewed upon as the clearly the most important technological transportation breakthrough in the history of mankind. Tested by the world's greatest pilots and flight analysts, the aerodynamic Cirrus X3 will enable man to travel anywhere he chooses. 
no longer confined by terrain, lack of decent travel ways, and overcrowded highways, man will be able to travel with the freedom as he was meant to. Imagine the places you can travel with the Cirrus X3 rocket. Adventure and practicality combined to make this latest achievement by Hughes Industries their greatest contribution yet. So join us, please, at the 1939 New York World Fair as we rocket into the future and into your life. So that letter states everything about what is he doing this for. He's actually building this to display as new technology at the 1939's New York's World's Fair. And the government is like, yeah, but what about if we use this for our own purposes? Warfare. Space and Communications Group is one of the largest satellite manufacturers in the world. Located in El Segundo, California, the group occupies facilities covering more than a million and a half square feet. Facilities with the latest available in automated tools, instrumentation, manufacturing, and environmental control for the production of Hughes satellites. These satellites are dual spinning. Each consists of two major parts. A non-spinning or de-spun section made up of the antenna and the communications payload and the spinning section made up of the spacecraft structure, solar panels and subsystems that keep the satellite on station. These sections are manufactured in separate dedicated areas. Areas that provide the specialized equipment required to design and build a satellite. So, yeah, Howard's literally put together, like, a, a promo packet for this massive event, which, you know, for uh, the uh, <laughs> the younger people out there, the World's Fair was a uh, was a, a pretty big deal back in the day. I'm not going to get into it, uh, the, hist- the whole history of it, but it was a real thing. Um, and... Um, and yeah, so Howard devised this thing as a as a, a personal, you know, consumer product. Um, yeah, like a, a, a fun way for for private people to get around. Its original purpose was to for transportation. Then, yes, yeah. yeah, I mean for transportation just, and recreation. I would assume. I mean, he's essentially saying that this everyone in the future will have one of these. This yeah, is the personalized n- jetpack. Yeah, it's not to fly. It's not the flying car that's going to save us. It's the flying man and like the flying backpack. Yes. But of course, the U.S. government, uh, as we all know from history, has uh, has other other uh, designs on uh, on this tech. Um, and Howard calls them calls them out right there to their faces, um, and then tosses the uh, the 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 promo pack at the World's Fair uh, kind of you know little do- dossier book that he has. Tosses it into the fireplace. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing. Of course, thing another up. connection to the cutting yes, edge. This, is another cutting edge. this man <laughs> loves his fireplaces. Terry O'Quinn and fireplaces. They go and together. May, may I just say, a personal uh, dream of mine. Mm-hmm. I, I hope one day to have an office that looks as fancy as Howard Hughes's office. 
And in mm. a quiet fit of rage, when I learn bad news, my goal is to have a little fireplace roaring, and I have like a, a crystal glass goblet of brandy, and mm-hmm. that someone tells me like, "Sir, the rocket has exploded," and I say nothing. I just stand there with my brandy, and then throw the crystal goblet brandy yes. into the fire where it explodes yes. in a little fireball. For whatever reason, that is on my bucket list, ladies and gentlemen. And Howard Hughes strikes me as the kind of guy who could do that, and Terry Quinn does do that. He tosses the whole plan, the blueprints, the vision, the dream, all into the fireplace, and I just love I mean, that. It feels like it feels like he sh- he he should be writing a check for these two government stooges and sending them back home to Mayhorn. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like the the roaring fire. Yeah, the CIA it's, guy goes double or nothing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It really it seems like uh, Terry O'Quinn should just have a fireplace at all times. Yeah, you never know just... when you're going to need to throw something in there. Um, Folks, that's a, that's a keep new it drinking keep it game going. we'll do. If you see Terry O'Quinn on your screen and there's a fireplace, yeah, throw back yeah. a drink. And then toss Something's that drink into a fireplace. Toss the drink into the fire. Yeah, hopefully. I also yeah. love how um, at around 11, 10, 11, 11 mark, you can see this. there's this amazing kind of slow uh, zoom in on the uh, you know, the, the New York, the 1939 New York World's Fair packet burning in the fireplace. And you see this image of the, um, you know, this artwork of this rocket man is this uh, group of rocket people like flying through the air with the flames engulfing them, which is an incredible foreshadow of a later scene in Howard's office when he plays a little, a little film, uh, for our protagonists, which we will be talking about. But yeah, just keep that image of, uh, you know, the, the the rocket pack and the flames in your mind as we move forward. And let's not forget that the way we actually learned that this is Howard Hughes might be the best needle drop uh, possible moment where yeah. liaison one says, what will we tell the president? And then the camera just pushes slowly in on Terry O'Quinn's face as it's like red flicker like the red light of the fire his burning plans are like coming off his face you see the flames flickering in his eyes emanating off his face the just the hues of the fire and he goes tell him the dream is over what do we tell a president tell him the dream is over tell him howard hughes said so Boom. Boom. There it is, baby. And the music swelling up. Uh, the boom, boom, boom. It's just so, so like. And then the flames. Oh, it's like straight out of a cartoon or and something. And they turn yeah. up the flames, like Amazing. where it like the flames get bigger so that it covers the whole camera. Just it's uh beautiful. I just love it yeah. so much. Yeah, it's an incredible. Oh, yeah, you're right. I just realized that little transition is the flames take up the entire frame. Oh, they turn up the flames right so that it takes up everything. Oh, and you um, just see his face in between the little licks of, of fire. Oh, it's so good. Yes. That's how we meet Howard Hughes, which is, boy, mm. what a baffo entrance. Baffo, an incredible entrance for an incredible character and an incredible man who I, again, will be discussing at length in future episodes <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. Jesus Christ, there's a lot to get through. Of course. Um, but for now, I'm going to restrain myself. I'm going to keep it cool. I'm going to keep it collected and together, um, and we can move on to our to our next scene. Yeah, I'm going to restrain myself here, too. I just want to say that, like, I'll, I think we will all have a lot more to say about Terry O'Quinn um, yes. throughout the movie. But something I just want to point out is that, like, he has a really unique magnetic 
presence and he has the ability like I feel like Ben in sports terms he's like uh his definition on a team could be like a role player but he's like a star role player yeah even though he doesn't even though he's like maybe not like a central character or he's like a supporting character he has a way of being a star in every scene that he's in oh absolutely if his even even if he's not the protagonist uh, the protagonist of the movie his 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 presence is so commanding and it leaves such an impression on you that you're like always so aware when he's on screen yeah and I, I that's not really very eloquent what no, I, just I mean said, there's I, there's I, terminology I I in hollywood used for certain actors uh qualities that are hard to quantify the big stars people say they got it and it is a factor that's hard to quantify and then there's another term that I think is more relevant to uh, Terry Quinn because it usually means you become like the star of films. And Terry Quinn was not that. But I think that Terry Quinn has juice. That like mm-hmm. this guy just has the juice. Like anytime you put him in, he elevates everyone around him. He commands the room in a way that's like, yes, his character's in charge. But the way he owns it, you're just like, there's a guy in a Pentagon uniform standing across the, with him, and he seems lesser status oh, than yeah. Howard Hughes. And I think like the, the Pentagon official is like a little boy compared to O'Quinn, yeah. and it's all through his energy, his his face, his his just his whole like essence that he gives off, and that's that's just a uh, talent right there. I mean, know? look at his yeah. eyes as he glances into the fire; like mm-hmm. he's watching his plans burn. And he has a level of dead eyes that is, you can see that like the way he's playing that scene is the dream is dead and he knows it. And his whole ambition, like he, this is like not just, oh, my, my plan blew up. He's like, this is this man's life's ambition burning. And the, the eyes read that way. And I'm like, ah, what a, he's got the yeah. juice. And I think as a, as an actor, like one thing I'll say about, Terry Quinn is that he something I notice about him is that like he has a talent for playing and he's he, you see him cast a lot as high status like like a character that's playing high status who has a lot of vulnerability so like in the cutting edge you see this like very revered wealthy man mm-hmm. who de- has like deep love for his daughter and then you're watching him sort of break yeah you know and the same a man that can throw like, Christmas like, parties like that, and yet is still still has weakness and frailty. Yeah, yeah, extreme weakness and frailty. And the same here with Howard Hughes, where he's playing this like um, captain of industry, and then at the same time, you just see him just shutting down the government and just being like, "The dream is dead." You know, mm-hmm. like this is this is over. Like the dream is the dream is dead. I think like what also. I consider that burning of the plan as truly the end of like the opening act of this movie. Mm. Like mm-hmm. it, all the stakes are set and in classic screenwriting fashion, it happens all within 10 minutes. Like yeah. we've met all the characters in some capacity and what's beautiful is they don't over explain it. A lot of the characters we haven't even met. We haven't even met Jenny Blake, but we know how important she is. Uh, mm-hmm. We know. Haven't met Neville Sinclair, but if you've got a real keen eye, you've we've, seen we've him. We've seen him. And we know the stakes, like the stakes are set. This rocket pack is dangerous. It's uh, being fought over by the government. It's being fought over by gangsters. 
and somehow Cliff Secord is in the midst of it. And um, I just think it's so perfectly set up with the flames going and then we're about to get into a next sequence, which I just, I can't wait to get into this next one too, by the way. Uh, Last thought, last thought, just to establish again, the, the stakes that you mentioned, Christian, like the fact that Howard Hughes is being told by clearly very high ranking officials in the U S government that the president has, you know, certain wishes and desires, uh, directions for Howard and Howard is completely dismissing them. And the thing that actually is affecting him in this moment is watching this packet burn in his beautiful, ornate fireplace. And you're realizing, like, this rocket pack and this this project of Howard's is, like, basically the, 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 the sort of whatever wishes of the United States president pale in comparison to Howard's own you know, passions and dreams and projects. And and you're realizing like how important this thing is, how significant it is, how, you know, impactful it, it could be um, because it vastly outweighs like in, in you know, in Howard's mind and, and the, the eyes that you see and, you know, in those, within those flickering flames, like that's what he cares about. Not the fucking president of the United States of America, but it was- this... I actually think this is relevant and like I won't go into super depth about it because actually we're going to like learn more of these facts later. But what's actually important is it is 1938. Who's the president at that point? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. What is going on? The rise of Germany and the start of World War II. So like stuff is starting to transgress that would make sense why the government would really want this weapon or, oh, or yeah. turn this thing into potentially they know there's something coming up, which was, you know, again, uh, U.S. didn't actually enter the war until 1941. So 1938, though, the, that is a time where the rest of the world is dealing with it in a far more uh, realistic way. So I think like this, like him turning down the president is actually enormous. Uh, Howard Hughes yeah. is turning down uh a, a tide changing technology that could end a war. And he's like, no, too dangerous. Not, yeah. not doing it. No, he's like, I don't answer to the president. The president answers to me. Yeah. And as we'll get into in our later episodes, perhaps uh, Howard Hughes did in fact, uh, was contracted uh, by the U S government to supply weapons of war. Um, sure was. And, sure was. Uh, some of those things worked out and some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Oh yeah. That's going to be a full pod. The There's a full pod. <laughs> Mom, oh don't worry. My mom is a huge, uh, Annie Lynch is a huge history buff. Don't worry. Oh, we fantastic. will talk about FDR and uh, all coming and all for you. Don't you worry. Yeah, no, we're we're going to stick with the movie for now. Um, but yes. that is relevant information. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. 